You're listening to Comedy Central. May 30th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight's guest, I could not be more honored, civil rights activist and founder of the Me Too movement, Tarana Burke is joining us, everybody. <laughs> but first, but first, uh, last week, talks with North Korea broke down after the country announced that they had no plans to get rid of their nuclear weapons. But they did come back with a counteroffer, and I think it's safe to say talks are back on. New signs tonight that the canceled summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un could soon be back on. But NBC News has obtained exclusive information from three U.S. officials that a recent intelligence assessment concluded North Korea has no intention of giving up its nukes anytime soon, but may offer to open up a Western hamburger franchise in its capital as a gesture of goodwill. Yeah, okay, that's interesting, okay. So instead of shutting down its nuclear program, North Korea is instead offering to open a burger joint. Yes, yes. I don't even know how that makes sense. Like, I like to think that that was intended to be Kim Jong-un's opening gambit, you know, a ridiculous low ball offer to get the ball rolling, but then Trump heard hamburgers and he was like, we're in, we're in. Where's my Nobel Prize? Nobel, Nobel, burger, Nobel, burger. A burger restaurant is such an absurd come down from complete denuclearization. It's almost like if you would ask a woman to marry you and she says, no, but I will wear this new hat. <laughs> now, we don't know what hamburger restaurant they're gonna open. I mean, it could be a Burger King, or I guess in North Korea, a Burger Supreme Leader, or uh, uh, could be a McDonald's. Although when they introduce the Happy Meals, that's gonna be weird, because they're gonna have to explain. They'll be like, uh, let me explain what meal means, okay? Now let me tell you what happy is, okay? <laughs> in other news, A new report on Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico has come out, which has found that the actual death toll from last year's storm was 4,600. Yeah, even though the official government count is only 64. I don't know about you, but that's that's mind-blowing. Like, that's that's not just off. That's inauguration crowd size off. (laughs) And honestly, when I heard this, it reminded me that we need to do as much as we can to help recovery efforts in Puerto Rico. So don't forget, you can still donate. And the good news is, President Trump is already doing his part. He just tossed them four more paper towels. Yeah! (laughs) Let's move on. Last night, President Trump uh, moseyed down to Nashville to campaign for Republican Senate candidate Marsha Blackburn. But surprisingly, instead of staying on message, the president spent most of the rally talking about himself. He talked about how he plans to beat Hillary Clinton in the 2016 campaign. And uh, he talked about how great he was for minorities. And then he pointed to a black person in the audience. Yeah. And finally, he laid out his plans for infrastructure. We will build new strength into our country. We will breathe new hope into our communities. And we will do it all with these big, beautiful hands. Look at these hands. Look at these hands. 
Yeah, that's right, America. President Trump is gonna personally build up America's infrastructure with his bare, beautiful hands. <laughs> He's gonna pitch up like, you guys can stop building that bridge. Me and the old pussy grabbers can take it from here. <laughs> Come on, wall. Come on, wall. I got it. Also, uh, did you guys notice the guy in the audience there? <laughs> Like, that's how you know that Trump has his people on lock. Trump puts up his hands, and this guy's like, hands. <laughs> and now, Trump wasn't just in town to ignore the Senate candidate he was there to promote. Uh, being on that stage also gave him the opportunity to crowd test his favorite new conspiracy. So how do you like the fact they had people infiltrating our campaign? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Is there anybody in this big, beautiful arena right now that's infiltrating our campaign? Would you please raise your hand? Now, that seems weird, <laughs> and you can laugh all you want, but that's how the Americans finale ended tonight. Yeah, Ronald Reagan said, raise your hand if you're a spy, and the Jennings fell for it. Did not see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Raise your hand if you're a spy is one of those questions that's supposed to sound like a joke, but it's actually totally serious. You know, like, like those questions like, wouldn't it be so funny if we had a threesome? <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously, but I mean, that would be so funny, though. We almost have to do it how funny it would be <laughs> when you think about it. But yes, what Trump is referring to is his claim that the FBI placed a spy in his campaign to help Hillary Clinton win the election, which, like most of Trump's conspiracies, is total bullshit. No evidence at all. What did happen is that the FBI, with good reason, had concerns that Russia was infiltrating Trump's campaign. So it used an informant to try and stop it. If anything, the FBI was trying to protect Donald Trump. Calling that spying is like accusing your doctor of spying on your cancer. What are you doing in there? <laughs> so Trump knows that the FBI wasn't spying on his campaign. But he also knows that if he keeps saying that they were, hands guy over here <laughs> will start to believe that the FBI was out to get Trump from the start and that the Mueller investigation must just be another plot by the anti-Trump deep state. And you don't have to take my word for it. Over the weekend, the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, told CNN that the attacks are part of a political strategy to sway public opinion against the Mueller probe. It is for public opinion because eventually the decision here is gonna be impeach, not impeach. Members of Congress, Democrat and Republican, are gonna be informed a lot by their constituents. So our jury is the, as it should be, is the American people. You know, I'm honestly shocked at how upfront Giuliani is about the whole thing. He's just like, yeah, we're trying to manipulate public opinion against the investigation so that Trump doesn't get impeached. Duh. <laughs> like, if you're ever pulling off a heist, don't have Rudy on your squad. He'll give it away. <laughs> help me, help me. I'm faking a heart attack so that my boys can sneak into the safe. That's what I'm doing, help me. <laughs> and thanks to Giuliani, we now understand why Trump has not only been pushing this conspiracy, but also branding it, or at least trying to brand it. According to the Associated Press, Mr. Trump wants to brand the FBI's confidential informant a spy, believing the more nefarious term would resonate more in the media and with the public. The president used some version of the word spy 24 times in 15 tweets over 10 days. We now call it Spygate. You're calling it Spygate. It should be noted that virtually no one is using that term. No, we're, no, we're not calling it Spygate. Nobody's calling it that because uh, there was no Spygate. <laughs> Man, Trump is priceless. The media is reporting on him calling it Spygate, and to him, that means they're also calling it Spygate. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Trump doesn't understand how echoes work. 
Oh, he's probably at the Grand Canyon like, hello, hello. Whoa, that's what I was saying. <laughs> you see, the problem is that much like a ticket on Trump's defunct airline, nobody is buying it. President Trump himself in the Comey memo said, if anyone connected with my campaign, was working with Russia, I want you to investigate it. And it sounds to me like that is exactly what the FBI did. The Trump people think that the FBI had an undercover agent who inveigled his way into the campaign. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. President Trump accusing the special counsel and his team of a whole new set of conspiracy theories. The president calls it Spygate. Fox News can confirm it is not. Damn. Even people on Fox News are calling Trump out for this one, which can only mean one of two things. Either there really is nothing at all to Spygate and Trump is just trying to undermine the Mueller investigation or the deep state FBI has infiltrated Fox News. <laughs> There's only one way to find out if that happened. If anyone at Fox News is a spy, please raise your hand. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. By now, we all know that yesterday Roseanne was fired for tweeting that former Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett was the birth child of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Planet of the Apes. And many people applauded ABC for reacting swiftly and canceling Roseanne. Although personally, I think ABC could do more. I think they should go one step further and reboot Family Matters with a super woke Steve Urkel. <laughs> yeah. It's like, did I do that? Or was it the oppressive socioeconomic system that sees black men as a menace? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just my idea. Now, uh, Roseanne getting fired wasn't a shock because I mean, let's be honest, comparing a black person to an ape is what I like to call shit your pants racism, right? It's so obvious. It's obviously bad, you know? Like everyone can smell it, everyone can see it. No one wants to help you clean it up. <laughs> Even the anti-PC brigade agreed Roseanne had gone too far. Roseanne Barr made some really incendiary, pretty appalling comments on Twitter. After I saw this tweet this morning, Dan, I'll be honest, I, it shocked me. We can't defend her. Right. It was unacceptable. It was mean-spirited. The plan of the apes was so over the line, there was no getting yeah. away from that. The Muslim Brotherhood, that gets kicked around. But when you combine that with the plan of the apes, it's just so toxic. It's just, uh, you can't really ever come back. Yeah. Wow, that's an interesting angle. Uh... <laughs> I love how precise Jesse Waters gets with this. It's like he's a racism chemist. Look, on its own, Muslim Brotherhood is harmless. Yeah, but anti, that's an anti-Muslim slur, but once you combine it with too much Planet of the Apes, it's gonna blow up in your face. <laughs> Trust me, when you've been saying racist shit as long as I have, you gotta feel for it, you know? You, you gotta feel, you gotta mix it just right. And what was really fun was, was watching the people who tried to argue that Roseanne wasn't being racist. She was just sort of generally bad. We live in a, a, a politically correct world right now. We live in a world where it's just not, it's just plain not nice. It's not nice to it's say not about that. political correctness, well, it, 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 it's it, racism. Well, let let's, her finish. Let's just look at what this was and what she said. The, the tweet was, was not nice, it was ugly, it was demeaning, it was gross. And let's just leave it at that. Why? It, it was wrong. Why because leave it at that? Just, yeah, why? Why leave it at that? Let's just leave it at that. I want that lady to defend me in court. Murder is such a harsh word. <laughs> Can't we all agree to call it making someone go bye-bye? Huh? This is such a PC world where no one wants to die anymore, huh? And seriously, I'm impressed by all of this. It takes a lot of mental strength to say that calling a black woman an ape isn't racist. Not everyone can pull it off, 
Do you think Roseanne's a racist? I don't think so, no. I've seen her show many times when she was in her previous show. I don't think she's a racist. I think she made some comments that she didn't think about that would come across as sounding racist. And indeed, they were. <laughs> well, this is, this is magic. It's like his conservative side and his black side were fighting it out in his head. <laughs> and his black side won at the last minute. She made some comments that might sound racist because that shit was racist. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, uh, after this, Roseanne apologized on Twitter and said that the reason she tweeted those racist things was because she was on Ambien and it was Memorial Day. And you know how Memorial Day gets people, nigga. <laughs> and in Roseanne's defense, tweeting stuff uh, that is racist while you're on Ambien, I do understand. Because if you listen carefully to their ads, there is a subtle warning about just this thing. Now, thanks to Ambien, you can get a good night's sleep and wake up well-rested. Side effects of Ambien include nausea, diarrhea, and sudden racism. Do not operate social media while taking Ambien, as it may lead to sitcom loss. If you feel sudden racism while on Ambien, don't leave your house. If you must say the N-word, scream it into a pillow until the feeling passes. If Ambien is taken on Memorial Day, racist side effects are amplified for some reason. If you suddenly wake up and you're at a Klan rally, contact your doctor immediately. Unless he's black, because you'll probably just call him a monkey. Ambien, for a good night's sleep and potential racism. We'll be right back. My guest tonight is an advocate for survivors of sexual violence who founded the Me Too movement over a decade ago. Please welcome Tarana Burke. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for so having me. So honored to have you here. Um, I was honored to be with you at the Time 100 Gala. You were honored as t one of Time 100's most influential people. Congratulations Thank on you. that. It is well deserved. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because you have become so synonymous with the Me Too movement and this idea of justice, we've just learned uh, today that uh, a New York grand jury indicted Harvey Weinstein on two counts of rape and a single count of criminal acts. Yes. Uh, if convicted, he faces up to 25 years in prison. Is this something that brings you joy, or how do you react to a story when it culminates in this manner? You know, it's, it's not... It doesn't bring me personal joy. I don't... You know, this is not really what it's about. And I, I've said this before. This is not really a moment to, like, celebrate how the mighty have fallen. But it is cathartic for the survivors. This is a moment for them to, to see a sense... Of, have a sense of relief for some of them. There are others who don't feel like it's justice. Right. And there are others who feel a little bit tenuous because it's going to mark the beginning of them having to be dragged through a trial process where his, you know, his attorneys are going to try their best to diminish them and to, and to make them seem like they were complicit. Right, and that's something I think a lot of people forget about uh, cases of sexual assault, mm -hmm. uh, is that the women are at the beginning that's of right. their journey where now people will probe them, people that's will right. make them out to be liars. Uh, when you look at the Me Too movement, 
when, when you started your program, what was your initial goal? Our goal was really to work with um, black and brown girls in the South around, who are survivors of sexual violence to speak healing into their lives, to let them know that healing was possible and let them know that they weren't alone. And it just grew from there, it grew from working with young girls to grown women. We realized, oh, we're survivors of sexual violence, so there's others like us. And, it, and it's really been focused on what survivors need to start a healing process. That's really what the heart of our movement has been about. And also working to end sexual violence. And if you, if you look at this world that we live in now, mm -hmm. the Me Too movement has become synonymous with men being brought down. Right. I often hear people say the phrase, oh, Me Too claims another victim or another win for Me Too. Do you think that's the right way to frame it? Do you think maybe people are missing the point of what Me Too is meant to inspire? Absolutely. It feels like playing whack-a-mole after a while, right? Right. It's like, who's the next person Me Too is going to take down? And that's not really our focus. If, as a byproduct of people coming forward and telling their truth, then there's justice that happens, there's some kind of um, you know, resolution that happens right, right. from that, then that's fine. But our goal is really to support the survivors and to make sure survivors are in a place of leadership in the, in the work to end sexual violence. It's not about taking down powerful men. And it's not a woman's movement either. That's another sort of misconception. It's a movement for survivors. You, you, you made headlines recently when um, you were in Harlem, I believe, at a restaurant, <laughs> and they were playing R. Kelly. Yeah. And you asked them to, to stop playing the, the R. Kelly song. Yeah. And then you, you reached out you know, to prominent radio DJs and you said, hey, help us. Help us to mute R. Kelly. Yeah. That grew into a movement which culminated in Spotify, for instance, saying, hey, we're going to remove him from, from playlists, et cetera. Could you explain the why in and around that? Like, why was that so important to you? If, if some people say, but, oh, it's the music, it's not him. Why was that so important to you? Well, first, I didn't start the mute R. Kelly, so I want to be clear about that. I've right. been, I have been talking about and, and speaking out against R. Kelly like a number of black women for years. Mute R. Kelly is a campaign that was started by these two other black women that I, that I support really enthusiastically. But the, the, the issue is not just about R. Kelly. The way that he makes his money is through his music and through performances. If we continue to support him, he uses that money to the detriment of these black and brown girls that he's been preying on for 20 years. And it's, so it's about making sure he doesn't have the resources to do that, but it's also because he symbolizes a greater thing. There are R. Kelly's in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools, in our churches. He represents a thing that we can't touch, we can't stop, we cannot, right. we cannot get people to pay attention to the plight of sexual violence against black and brown girls. And R. Kelly is a perfect example of it. Do you think that if R. Kelly's victims were a different race, there would have been a movement that was far more powerful against him? I think if R. Kelly's victims were white girls, I think if they were black boys, that there would be a movement against him that would have, that would have started and ended 10, 15, 20 years ago. Wow. I think specifically because it's black and brown girls that it has been slow because we think about black and brown girls differently. It's interesting because I, I see these parallels across many, many groups, you know. There isn't one particular group where there is more preying or there is more sexual assault. Right. It feels like you find this across cultures. But one mm -hmm. thing I, I, I've come, and you'll, you'll correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, I've come to find that predominantly in cultures of color, mm -hmm. there is an idea that we shouldn't speak about these Absolutely. things. I remember growing up, you know, if an uncle was accused of abusing a young girl, then the girl would get into trouble. Mm -hmm. How do you begin these conversations in communities of color? How do you get people on your side and realize that the community has to work from the inside? 
I feel like I, I've said this before. We have to have to be able to hold two truths at the same time or more than one truth. Right. And I'll speak about the black community specifically. I think in the black community, we are so focused on the fact that there is a there is a true history of black men being falsely accused of rape and sexual violence in this country. That's true. There's right. no question about it. History you know, supports that. But it's also true that in every community, the people who commit sexual violence, except for the native community, by and large, are from that community. Right. And so if that's true, and we know that black women are sexually assaulted and, and victims of sexual violence, then it, ha it happens by and large at the hands of black men. And so we have to unravel this, this idea that we have to be silent to protect our men and we have to protect our community from this. And we also have to dismantle this, these notions we have about um, womanhood and sexuality and you know that a girl develops and she gets a body and all of a sudden she's solely responsible for protecting herself from right. perpetrators right right it becomes her fault that she develops a breast and a behind and you know men find her attract grown men find her attractive and then we give you know what happens in our community I'm sure in African communities as well as in right, American right, communities right. you get these rules right don't sit on anybody's lap mm -hmm. don't don't let anybody touch your private parts all of the rules all the onus is on the child but what we don't say very often is, if those rules are broken, it's not your fault. You're not the one responsible. The adults are wholly responsible for making sure that you're safe. That's what we have to unpack. We have to start unpacking those things in our community and having honest conversations, really. It's not, you cannot put a song, you cannot put a person's talent over somebody's humanity. That's just, that's just insane. Wow. When we talk about the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. I'm always intrigued by that word, movements at the end of it. Where do you believe we are moving towards? Where would you like to see the country and, and, and people in different communities move towards? I know that you have a few projects that you're working on. Yeah, I mean, one of, because Me Too went viral on, online and you know, via Twitter and Facebook and social media, I think it's important for us to have an online platform for people to get resources. And so one of the things we're building is this online platform that will, that will be able to provide survivors of sexual violence and their allies with resources to start trying to figure out what healing could look like for them. Right. But it's also to activate people, right? The thing that people forget is that we are millions and millions strong across the world. That is a power base. And so we also want to provide um, tools for people to get active in their communities because we have the power to interrupt sexual violence. So when I think of movement, I think us moving towards a world where we can end or at least very much interrupt sexual violence. And that can happen and be driven by the survivors. There's so many of us. Right. You know, and so that's where we're moving towards. We haven't seen a culture shift yet. I think that we have seen a culture starting to move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. But a, a true culture shift won't happen until we are re-socialized about how we think about sexual violence and how we engage with each other and how we talk to each other, how we take apart rape, rape culture. Like, those things have to happen, and then we'll see a culture shift. I can only say I, I'm, I'm proud to have sat with you, and I, I think you're an amazing person who's doing the most phenomenal job. Thank you. I'm excited to, to see where the movement goes. Thank you so much Thank for being you. on the show. Thank you so much. Toronto Burke, everybody. Thank you so much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.